Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. We know that we're living in the last of the last days, right? So I'm going to kind of shift my message from faith to talking about that, that and the condition of the church. So as we start our study today, we're talking about today's church. And I'll be honest with you, I wrote this in December, but it was held in check and not able to bring it out until now. And so, uh, well, let's see what the Lord has to say and speak to our hearts about it. So today's church and look at Ephesians chapter two. And verses 19 through 22 from the English Standard Version of the Bible. So then, when you, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, before I even comment on this, I said this on Wednesday evening, it bears repetition here to our uh, Sunday morning congregation. To better understand that, we've got to go back and understand that there are three dispensations or dealings with God and man in redemption. And in the first one, we can say the first dispensation was the Father manifesting Himself in the temple, first in the tabernacle of Moses, but then in the temple. So if you could just bear with me as I just kind of separate these three uh, for a moment, just for clarity. So let's talk about the Old Testament being God the Father manifesting himself on earth among men, dwelling in a ark of the covenant in first the tabernacle and then in the temple that Solomon built, right? And these people saw God they saw his firefall. They saw his glory appear. They saw him in a visible, clear way. On Mount Sinai, it was a situation where you trembled at the presence of Almighty God. So it was an amazing manifestation of the effort of the Father to make himself known, to dwell on earth among men, to express his laws, his commandments, and his judgments. Can you imagine on Mount Sinai and receiving the Ten Commandments as he was there for those 40 days with God and God outlining his relationship with mankind and how mankind was to respond to him. So just imagine that. But that was the Father. Now redemption is, is the work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. So there we have the Father dwelling on earth among men in a tabernacle, in a temple. But then secondly, in the next era, it's called the Gospel era. And God did not come in the temple or in the tabernacle or in the Ark of the Covenant, God manifested Himself, the second person of deity, in a temple provided for Him by God the Father and Mary. It's called the Temple of His Flesh. So in the Gospel era, era what do we see? God on earth among men. Now in the Old Covenant, it was up to the priest to keep the fire burning and the glory manifesting, was it not? with their sacrifices and, and their praises and their worship and etc. Well, they did what they had to do. But in the gospel era, it was 
God manifesting himself in Jesus, he had no problem keeping the fire burning. He had no problem with the glory appearing. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when he appeared before Peter, James, and John with Elijah and Moses, enough said, right? But is he on earth, God in second person on earth, manifested himself among men, he demonstrated the very love, care, concern, and compassion that the Father has for humanity. Because he wasn't interested in building buildings. He wasn't interested in having any kind of popularity with the Pharisees or the Sadducees or any of the high priests. Matter of fact, they didn't like him and it didn't bother him at all. Everywhere he went, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set liberty to bruised, and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The time has come. God is on earth among men, and He's tired of what the devil is doing to humanity. That's what it was. That was the gospel era. And what Jesus did was he wreaked havoc with the kingdom of darkness. Everywhere he went, he wreaked havoc. Did he not? He destroyed the works of Satan. He healed the sick. He set the captives free. He provided for every need. He raised the dead. He gave widows back their children. Compassion, love. That's what it's all about. Loving people. God on earth among men. Beautiful. So now we see God the Father on earth did his part. Now we see God the Son on earth and he did his part. But before he left, what did Jesus say? It's expedient, profitable, beneficial for you that I leave. Wait a minute. Jesus, we don't want you to go. I got to go. Because if I do not go, the Holy Ghost will not come. You see, there's still more work to be done. The third person of deity is going to come. And he's going to come on the day of Pentecost. And you have to realize that even though you've seen me, you've been with me, you've watched me work, you've worked with me, you're still not equipped to do what needs to be done next. So you go wait in Jerusalem into an upper room where I'm telling you, until you be endued with power from on high. Then and only then will you step out and do what needs to be done. So, on the day of Pentecost, we have the advent of the Holy Spirit. The third person of deity. Now, he's coming into the earth to dwell on earth among men. But guess what? Not in the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant. Not in the temple. And guess what else? There's no body for him made like for Jesus. His own individual body. So he can live in that one body that would limit him. So 120 individuals were in an upper room. And when the Spirit came Rushing from heaven, this rushing sound from heaven, it sat in cloven tongues like as a fire on every individual person that was in that upper room. And when he came, 
He entered in and filled them and they individually became the temple of the living God. And the Shekinah glory that was in the ark, the Shekinah glory that was in Jesus is the same Shekinah fire and glory that's in you and me if you are filled with Holy Ghost fire and power. So in other words, he's looking all over. He bypasses the temple. Nah, it's not right there. Too much religious tradition going on over there. He bypasses all this other stuff and says, Whew, I see 120 hungry hearts full of humility. People that really love God. I think I'll go into them and make them vessels. So I can work the works of God through each and every one of them individually and collectively as a church body. And so what we just read there in Ephesians is saying this to us. Now, the same God of glory that was in the ark, the same God of glory that was in Jesus and anointed him, is the same God of glory who has come upon us and made us his dwelling place on earth among men. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. You are his masterpiece. You are his dwelling place. And his glory does reside in you. In a jar of clay maybe, but still the glory of God abides in you. And for what purpose? To continue the works. Jesus said the works I do shall you do also. And greater than these shall you do. Because I'm going to my father. And when I go to my father. I'm sending the Holy Ghost. And when he comes in. He's going to clean you up. And fill you up. And set you free. <laughs> Release you into the world. Amen. Alright. Now here's the challenge. We're living in the last days. We're living in the last of the last days. So. Why is that a challenge? Well look at 2 Timothy. In chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Times of great perplexity. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce bakers, false accusers. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. That's pretty detailed and descriptive of the time we're living in right now. Would you agree? Does that sound like... A temple that the Holy Ghost wants to live in? No. Jesus had a message for this church of the last days. Look in the book of Revelation in chapter 3. And now if you understand that the seven churches here in Asia Minor depict, at least some believe, or many believe, even the scholars believe that it's the seven ages of the church, the seven ages of the church in progression. Well, we're living in the Laodicean age, okay? And here's what he said. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, 
the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Pretty good title, wouldn't you say? Let's read that again. This is what the amen says, the final word, the faithful, the true witness and beginning of the creation of God. And what does he say? I know your works. You're neither hot and cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, because thou sayest, because this is what you say about yourself, I'm rich, increased in goods, and have need of nothing. Okay? That's what they say. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wait a minute. I would have to say the way they view themselves and the way Jesus viewed them were polar opposites. Wouldn't you? You see, if we think this because we're successful, we have wealth, we have this, we have that, and that means everything is okay? Whoa. He said, no, no, no. You're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold. There's not time to give you all the detailed information about what he is saying here. Because, you see, he's speaking directly to things that enable them to be prosperous and to be wealthy, etc., etc. Buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. So notice he's talking about their clothing. He's talking about eye salve and their sight. And all these things are the things that they manufactured and used for their prosperity. He said, look, you've got to come to me because you've got it all wrong here. And he went on to say that you've got to repent. And isn't it sad that sometimes even today we have our preachers on TV saying, there's no need for you to repent anymore because grace covers it all. Oh, really? That's Jesus speaking about the Laodicean church and says, you better repent. Repent for your blindness. Come to me and let me anoint your eyes so you can really see how you're supposed to see. Come to me and let me try your faith in fire so that you can really understand and know what faith is all about. Come to me and I will clothe you with white, not black linen, but with white. And you will then see the purity that represents my kingdom. So he said, repent and get it right. We're living at a time right now when people want to be entitled. Honestly, they even want to go to church and hear what they want to hear. They don't even want you to preach from pulpits anymore about sin and what sin is all about in the eyes of God. So what I'm saying is the challenge is for us to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, break through all this deception. This was the most heavily rebuked church of all, and this is the church age we're living in right now. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Why? I'm sorry to say it this way, but you know what? Truth is truth. You know what our problem is with uh, a lot of the stuff that's going around in our schools? Parents taking their responsibility and train their children in, in the way that they should go. So when they grow old, they won't depart from it. That's what the problem is. Whatever it takes, instill godly values instill godly principles into their hearts, into their minds. Teach them the ways of the Lord so that they can feel safe and secure in who they are and what they have. 
and learn what's right and what's wrong. Understand what direction that they're going in. And if they need help along the way, provide the help. There's all kinds of help. There's counselors, Christian counselors. There's ministries that you can go to and you can be taught and you can be trained and you can be helped. If you have a problem with your identity, you can be helped, praise God. Understand who you are and where you've come from and why you're living on this earth. And the plan that God has for you. God's plan has never changed. It's for good, not for evil. To give everyone a future and to give everyone a hope. Can you say amen? No matter who you are. You know, so it's important that we understand these things and understand the challenges that we are facing in our society today. And uh, I, I do believe that God wants us to rise up and overcome. Now, the pattern. Some of the challenges, and there's many, but the pattern. What's the pattern? Well, I have outlined this for us because I believe that Jesus outlined it. I believe the book of Acts outlines it. We can see some things here that the church needs to understand. It's time for the church to rise up and be the church. Okay, number one, church operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. They understood and they knew by the descent of, by the advent of the Holy Spirit when He came upon them that it was the Holy Spirit in them that was doing the work, not them, but the Holy Spirit in them and through them doing the works of Jesus. Okay, Acts chapter one verse eight. Notice this: You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. You're going to witness for me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, anywhere and everywhere. So they operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. They did not go off and out into the world because of their intelligence, their oratorical skills, or anything that they had or they possessed of their own, no matter how educated or uneducated they were. And isn't it something that the Bible teaches us that God uses the fullest things in the world to confound the wise? These are unlearned, untrained, untaught individuals, fishermen, and tax collectors, and lawyers, and I mean, the list goes on and on, uh, people that came in from different backgrounds, but they were not the, the well-taught Sadducees, the Pharisees, and all those that were trained and educated in religion and religious beliefs and, and all that. Isn't that something? He doesn't go to the organized place where he pours out his spirit. He goes to where those hearts are hungry and desirous for God, no matter what it means, even if it means you've got to change your life, transform your life, and set aside what you believed in the past and be corrected, they gave themselves over to it, and the Holy Ghost did what? Empowered them. And they went forth. Okay, it's the church that operated the power of God. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 33. And with great power, if we just stop right here this morning, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. When we leave this church service today, my prayer is that great power and great grace would rest upon every single one of us everywhere we go so that we can witness for Jesus. Number two. Number one was great power. But number two, they preached the gospel with power. Once again, we refer to the book of Acts. Chapter 2, this is Peter. This is cowardly Peter who is no longer cowardly or intimidated at all. He stands before those that he denied Christ in front of not too many days ago. And he stands there with a newfound boldness about him. And what does he do? Peter stands up in the midst of the, uh, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, You men of Judea, 
And all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. And for what reason? And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice it's always focusing on the salvation of mankind. The power of the Holy Spirit. If we have a desire to believe people into the kingdom of God, the power of the Holy Spirit will show up and manifest Himself in such a way so as to pierce through the hearts and the minds of people that are bound by many things in the world today and break through all that to bring them to a place of saving grace. Because you see, without the Holy Ghost they can't be drawn. And without the Holy Ghost they will not come. But God wants us to be yielded vessels so the Holy Spirit can, through us, minister life everywhere we go. He preached a message empowered by the Spirit. It wasn't His great skills of preaching and teaching. It wasn't His education and His background from going to school and, and all that long words that He can use. And that's always bothered me. What did He say? I, I don't even know what that word means. Thank God you got Siri. Siri, what does that mean? She's pretty quick on some things. Although I do think she needs hearing aids or... What about you? Pray over the, some things because... How did you get that out of what I just said? I didn't say that. Anyhow, she's good at math. Good at math. Ask her any question about math. Number three, she, they were ex, the church was excited about entertainment, donuts in the morning, fellowships. Mm, thank God for all that. But they were excited about Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. He's been risen from the dead. He's alive right now. You can kill me. You can beat me. You can whip me. You can do what you want to do and say what you want to say. I saw him with my eyes. I heard him with my ears. I felt him with my hands. He is alive, praise God. And my hope is in him and him alone. Look at Acts chapter 2. Praise God. And verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, oh, I'm sure they hated to hear that name. They despised that name. Oh, they did not want to hear that name at all. But he said, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which they could not deny, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands you have crucified and slain. But God hath raised him, having loosed him from the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Hallelujah. It was a church, praise God, that was excited about Jesus. Look at the, going down to the, what, 32nd verse. This Jesus had God raised up, 
whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. Somebody say hallelujah. I'm telling you, when I leave a church service, and you should have the same desire too, I want to go saying, did you see and hear what the Lord has done? Did you hear and see what the Holy Ghost did? I'm inspired. Praise God. I am challenged. Praise God. I want more of Jesus. I want more of the Holy Ghost. I want more fire in my life. I want to go forth, praise God, shining as a light in a world of darkness that they can see in me my hope of glory. His name is Jesus. Number four, they were united and they cared for each other. This is the church we're talking about. This is the church that we are, where the Holy Spirit lives. Look at what it says in Acts. Go to Acts chapter 2. And all that believed were together and had all things common. They cared about each other. Go on down to the next verse, I think, chapter 4. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Can you imagine that being achieved among people? Such a love, such a care, and a concern for the well-being of your brother and your sister to the degree that you are willing even to deny yourself for the benefit of someone else. Boy, that's not the world today, is it? Get ahead, no matter what you have to do at any cost, get ahead. Promote yourself, and that's, that's all the, the world is about today. But thanks be to God, hallelujah, we can love one another the way He loved us, and we should love one another and care for one another and be there for That's how the church was back then. And that's why they had the manifestation of God's presence. Look at number five. They were a church that was given to praise and worship. Oh, they were given. Acts, once again, in chapter uh, 2, 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. You see, when they went from house to house, uh, Brother Mark, I don't think they carried the drum set with them. Or Sister Tammy, I don't think they carried the keyboard. Now, they may have had a guitar. I'm not sure about that. Sue and all the others. They went house to house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. As Brother Dave said, bending their knees, bowing themselves in the presence of Almighty God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We bless you. We exalt you. We magnify you, glorify you. And on. That was a church that knew how just to praise God. It didn't have to have the newest song of the moment or anything like that. Or the flash of the lights and psychedelics and, and all that. They had this. And they had this. The heart and the mouth. Deep appreciation for who God is. For what He has done. And the privilege that they had to serve God the way they served Him. Go to number six. This was the church. Stayed committed when they were persecuted. Look in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. They stayed committed even though they were persecuted. Saul was consenting unto his death. That was, that was um, 
the death of Stephen. He had just died. He was, he was stoned to death. Saul consented to He probably spearheaded the whole thing. And at the time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, cowering in fear, apprehensive about what they were involved in. What did they do? Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> You're not going to intimidate us, devil. We're going to preach all the harder. We're going to preach all the more. You want to scatter us abroad everywhere we go. We're going to tell somebody else about Jesus. That's it, number seven. They witness God's mighty power. To do what? To save Acts chapter, what is it, two? Look for 41. Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They believed that God's presence would save the lost. And more than anything else, that is what God is looking for, for the lost to be saved. Okay, secondly, a power that also shakes. Look at Acts chapter 4. And when they had prayed, everybody was quietly in their little place. And if someone said anything, they said, shh. No, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Hallelujah. Someone said, did you see sister so-and-so shaking at the altar this morning? I said, yeah, but wait till you see the building shake. Wait till you hear the ground shake. There's a whole lot of shaking going on when the Holy Ghost shows up, praise God. Can you say amen? A whole lot of shaking that's going to be taking place and going on. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So we see, but then also, we'll talk about power. To impact. We're talking about impacting power. Look at Luke 7, I mean, Acts 17. What it says here. I love these. I love the way it says this in the King James. It just brings a little joy to my heart when I hear these words. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. I wonder where they found those lewd fellows of the baser sort. <laughs> And gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. You talk about impact. Hallelujah. Are you ready to turn the world upside down? Glory to God. I'm telling you, when the Holy Ghost shows up, when he's allowed to do his work, it will have an impact upon people, upon individuals, upon families, upon communities. It will impact, praise God, people. And that's what they had. A church of impact. 
And I'm talking about the right kind of impact. Impact that will drive people to their knees. Not a false confession that says, once I say yes to Jesus, I go live my life the way I want to live my life and do what I want to do. No, that's not impact. Impact is, I've never been the same again. I went to the altar. I got saved. When I got saved, I got saved. I'm telling you, Jesus came into me. He cleaned up my heart. He cleaned up my soul. My life is dedicated to Him. And now, praise God, I can't do the things. Oh, you're saying someone tell you you shouldn't do that? No, I just can't do it. I don't want to do it. I got a new heart, a new life, a new nature. I've been born again. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away. All things have become new. And all things are of God in me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I find myself doing things that I never did before because I wasn't born again. That's why. Oh, I was religious, yes, but I wasn't born again. There's a big difference. The difference is between heaven and some other place. All right, what number are we on? Eight. It was a militant church. In Acts chapter 3, it was a militant church. They attacked sickness and disease. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and his, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. He leaping up stood and walked into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And when the people saw him walking and praising God, praise God, they were so excited, they were so overjoyed, they wanted to raise up uh, Peter and, and, and John and, and, and exalt them to a high position. But Peter said, hey, don't look on us like as if our own holiness did this. He was full of humility now. He was full of pride before. He says, it's the name above every name that did this. It's not me. It's not you. It's the name. It's not John. It's the name above every name. Give all credit to him. So they attacked it. But then also look at Acts chapter 8. Remember? In Acts chapter 8 was when, when they went down to this. Actually, it was when they were, they were dispersed about because of the persecution. Well, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. See, the persecution didn't discourage them. It just empowered them. Okay, you want to say don't you want to scatter us abroad? We're going to inf we're going to infiltrate the whole world. He, so he went to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying without voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with the palsies that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. What did he do? They attacked the sickness and disease. They attacked demon powers. You see, not like our world today. You know, many times we don't even give credit. To the fact that there could be a, a world of darkness that's out there destroying human lives. But that's what it's all about. That's the force of darkness that's behind all the ills of mankind. Well, praise God. If Jesus on earth was destroying the works of Satan. And he said, continue the work that I started. How else are we going to do it without this divine enablement? And remember he said in the Gospels, I give you power to... To tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. I'm giving you power to cure diseases and to cast out devils. That power comes by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And on Wednesday nights we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And just to give you an understanding of the fact that it's a twofold operation. I'm glad you're saved. But if you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost and with the evidence of tongues, then you're not filled to overflowing. So that's a twofold work. One, you get saved. Second, you get filled with the Spirit. And so many people today are shying away from that because why? Because the enemy is doing his part to discredit it. That's why. And why is he doing his part to discredit it? It's because he doesn't want you being filled with Holy Ghost 
power. That's why he wants you to continue living your life in your own abilities and not drawing from the well of living water and rivers of water outflowing your spirit. And then it was a church that was feared, number nine. They feared God and they were feared. They had reverence for God and they were greatly feared among the people. As a matter of fact, if you read the previous verses from Acts 5 all the way through up until this point, look in chapter, bring up Acts chapter 5, verse 11. But if you read all the way up to verse 10, what you discover is this, Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that story? And they lied to the Holy Ghost and they both fell over dead. They both fell over dead at the feet of the apostles, at the feet of Peter, right? And they were both given a chance to fess up and tell the truth, were they not? Peter said to Ananias, did you sell your property for such and such? Oh, yeah, for such and such. He said, really? Why you lying? Why you let Satan put that in your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? You're not lying to men, you're lying to God. And he fell over dead right there. Went and found the wife, Sapphira, and said, did you sell your property for such and such? Oh, yeah. Why did you conspire with your husband to do this thing? Took her outside, she fell over dead too. And there they were. Uh, can you imagine what happened at church today? <laughs> two liars and two deaths. <laughs> Look what happened. And great fear came on all the church. And upon as many as heard these things, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord on Solomon's porch. And the rest of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the, but the people magnified them. In other words, it was like this. <laughs> you going to get hooked up with those people? You better tell the truth. You can't tell the truth. Don't you go near them. Stay away. Either get yourself to be honest. Because you know why? You could die. That was divine judgment that fell upon them for lying to the Holy Ghost. You realize that? Now, the church, my goodness, over the years, what has happened? What's happened today to the church of, the t of today, the Laodicean church age of today, where many think that church is just, you go there on a Sunday, you put in your obligation for 45 minutes. If it goes over that, look at your watch until the preacher gets nervous. <laughs> Think about your oven and what's in it baking and, you know, your roast that you got in there. That may be roast for you, but it's pasta for me. But it's, just don't burn the meatballs, you know. Wait a minute. You are the church. You are the temple of the Most High God. You are the dwelling place of the Shekinah glory that fell from heaven in the tabernacle. That was manifested in the person of Jesus. You as an individual and we as a church body, we are the dwelling place for God on the earth. It is up to us to provide for the Father a place worthy of His Glory in manifestation. It's up to us to keep the fire burning, praise God, so that we stand for godly principles. We stand up for what truth says. We do our part. We take our place. The church should rise up to a place where we be the church once again and we voice what the Word says. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If He says it, 
it's wrong, it's wrong. If he says it's right, it's right, praise God. The government can't tell us what's right and what's wrong and trump God. I'm telling you why he can't trump God. You know why government cannot trump God? Because God ordained government. Romans 13, God is the one that put government in office for what reason? To promote the well-being of those that will abide by the law and to judge and punish those that don't abide by the law. And so since the greatest lawmaker provided the laws for us, and I thank God in our country that we've established the Ten Commandments when our forefathers first came here so we could live by them as a guideline as to how we should conduct ourselves as a society so we can know what is right and know what is wrong. And guess what? Over the years I understand what's happened, but guess what? God is not going to be trumped at all by the mentality of mankind. Thank God, thank God, thank God that there's a people that are going to rise up and stand up and just say, hey, if he says it's wrong, it's wrong. If he says it's right, it's right. And as far as we're concerned, we're standing with God. We're standing with God. Period. So thou shalt not kill. So don't kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. So don't do it. Honor your parents. You better do it. If you want to live long and be well with you on the earth. Okay. Don't covet. You see what he's got. Don't covet. Don't do that. You've got the same father. He'll bless you too. Amen. Hallelujah.